Welcome to InVibe Live Conversations with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. By tuning in, you are joining a community that will inspire you to increase balance, wellness, and joy in your life. We'll offer expert information and insightful conversations to help us on our journey to live more in vibe. For more information and articles, remember to also check out our website at InVibeLive.com. That's E-N-V-I-B-E. L-I-F-E dot com. We're grateful that you're here. Welcome to InVibe Live Conversations with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. And today our special guest is Dr. Nahal Delpasan. Welcome. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. We've been hoping to speak to Nahal for months now, and we had our summer hiatus. And so we're so glad to be back and filming. And um, this is a topic that Cheryl and I have been wanting to address really since the beginning of InVibe Life. And we're so thrilled now to have Nahal with us to talk about mental health. Yes. So Dr. Uh, Delapasan is a licensed clinical psychologist. I wasn't able to say that in the beginning. So people kind of know where we're going with this podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, we, the three of us had a brief talk beforehand and go ahead and take the floor and tell us what you've been seeing in your practice and what the latest concerns are. Sure. So I've been in private practice for six years here in Austin. Um, and, you know, since the start of the pandemic, I um, went to virtual therapy. So I, I'm really mostly doing telehealth, um, and I'm now starting to kind of incorporate a hybrid model where um, I'm starting to see some patients in person. Um, So my, you know, trajectory in terms of how I was seeing patients has dramatically shifted since the start of the pandemic. Um, I will say there's some downsides to that and some upsides. I think the most important thing is the accessibility that I have now. Um, I can see quite a few. you know, people with a variety of different situations from different places. I think what I want to emphasize is from different places, because now American Psychological Association has implemented what's called psych pact. So essentially, I have reciprocity now with quite a few states um, outside of Texas where I'm licensed. So that gives me accessibility to see quite a few people um, out of state, people who need support, who obviously um, aren't here. So that's one significant change. Um, And then as far as just, you know, the clients that I'm working with, as you guys can imagine, there has been an uptick in depression and anxiety, addiction issues. Um, Navigating life transitions has been a really big one. Um, You know, with the pandemic and having time to really reflect on our lives during the shutdown has contributed to um, a lot of my patients you know, asking questions like, is this a career I want to be in? Right. I, I want to, you know, pursue something differently. I think the pandemic has really opened my eyes to the things that are most meaningful. And so there's almost an uprooting and upheaval that's happening right now, both emotionally, I think for a lot of people physically and mentally, um, and not all of it is, you know, negative, but I will say um, it has contributed to more of a complexity in the presentations that I'm seeing. The other thing, you know, that I think is important to note is the piece about um, people going back to work, 
right? Our feelings about going back to work, going back into the office, a lot of us have become accustomed to working from home and the flexibility that that offers us, as well as recognizing that, you know, sometimes we work better, sometimes we don't work better, but I think, you know, navigating the dialogue um, around, should I go into the office? Should I stay home? What will my employer be okay with around that? How can I assert my needs while at the same time uh, feeling capable and competent and empowered? Um, and I especially see that with my female clients who are managing, taking care of you know, kids at home and trying to manage their careers. I often find that balancing those two, especially right now, is that, that much more challenging. And not to say that the men aren't do- the men aren't doing it either, but um, more often I'm hearing this stress and pressure coming from my female patients. Yeah, this is huge, and and I think you just with everything you said, you've hit a lot of points. Mm-hmm. Like talking about this upheaval that's happening, I think globally. Mm-hmm. And notice when um, you go to other businesses, and I can even say this about my other the physical therapy clinic, like. There is a complete shift of who worked before, who worked for me before and who works for me now. And if you go, if I go to other businesses, I can be like, it's a complete, the whole crew has changed. And I'm not, like you said, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just, there is a global shift. People questioned where they were Mm -hmm. and it wasn't all on, there wasn't like everybody decided to leave or I fired everybody. It wasn't like that. It was all in between, you know, it was, it it was a shift in how the employee thought, how the employer thought it all gave us an opportunity to make big changes Mm -hmm. and do it differently the next go around, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Doing it differently. You know, it's also made us more creative. I think in many ways, resourceful, right? We have to kind of think outside the box more and think about how to make things work differently, especially now with the use of technology. You know, Cheryl, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I wonder if you do more virtual sessions for some of your clients who can't come in as regularly in person. That would be yeah. thing. Yeah. In the beginning, we did do a lot of virtual. And what was actually shocking, like for the physical therapy side is how many people it did help. You know, it was Mind-blowing because you think, you know, really with physical therapy, they put their hands on them a lot. Right. Step back from that and have to just be able to verbally give someone that. I think it made our therapists grow and become better therapists. You also had to then have the confidence to express to the patient. It's now time. If we need to progress further, we need to find a way to comfortably come together in person. Right. You know, right. and, and, but then that was a boundary that we're, I think we're all still having to navigate is where is that comfort zone and how can we both find one that mutually works and respecting the other person when maybe they're not there. Yeah. You know? I think that's a big thing. That's Are you seeing that like fear of coming out and, you know, how do you manage your fear? Cause I feel like there's a little bit of fear in all of us mm-hmm. with different things. And so is that a big piece? It is. You know, I think another thing that I've witnessed is kind of this social anxiety that's happening right now is things are kind of getting back to some level of normalcy. Obviously, um, there are things that still make the uh, pandemic pretty present, and it is. But as far as just... um, kind of reconnecting with communities, reconnecting with people, having to go back 
to work. And if you think about it, I mean, with the pandemic, I mean, all of us, you know, our lives came to a screeching halt, right? And so now as we are reincorporating um, ourselves into, you know, this newness, our worlds have changed. And so we're having to navigate that change while also trying to remember how we were before. And so I think that's been quite a challenge because, you know, I hear a lot, I used to be able to, you know, show up in a meeting and feel comfortable. And now I have this anxiety and now I'm even that much more self-conscious about what I'm saying. And so, you know, when we talk about it, it's almost kind of acknowledging, right? The shifts and transformations that we've all been through. I think oftentimes what happens is we try to fight it. We try to act like this isn't normal. Why am I like this? Um, Why am I not? you know, uh, functioning at the level that I was before. But the reality is we have to acknowledge many truths about our situation. And I think the more we fight and suppress, I think oftentimes the more, you know, some of these situations can be exacerbated, exacerbated, excuse me, whether it's social anxiety or depression um, or, you know, anxiety, another, you know, another generalized type of anxiety. Um, All of these things, I think, can be exacerbated when we fight the feeling rather than lean into it and really acknowledge and identify what it's rooted in. Um, And sometimes we can't. Sometimes there's other part where you tend to feel a certain way and we want to be able to root it in something. And sometimes it's harder to be able to identify what it is that's causing, you know, um, the distress. How could you, this might sound really stupid, but I've always learned that no question is stupid. Um, how would you, what would be signs that you're having social anxiety? Mm-hmm. Maybe I feel like sometimes we have some of the stuff that you're saying or you're putting terms to, but maybe it's showing up a different way and I'm making excuses for it. I think that could be something. What are signs that there's social anxiety that you're, you know, out there for you personally? Like, what would you sure. find? So, you know, typically, you know, when we're going into a space where we don't know a lot of people, right, there's a level of anxiety that's normal, right? When you're going on your first date or when you're going into a party and you don't know a lot of people it's or it's a work networking event, you just started at this new company. So, you know, there is a normal experience of anxiety, which is obviously, you know, you, you feel your heart right? You know, you, you feel kind of tension in your chest. You may um, kind of be ruminating, meaning you may be thinking a lot about going into this situation. What may people think of me? And, you know, how will I um, navigate the situation? So I think I want to be, you know, clear about those are some kind of, those are normal experiences of anxiety. When it gets to a place of, you know, more concern is when it really gets in the way of your everyday life, your quality of life and day-to-day functioning, where it becomes the focal point. So the notion of doing basic things, right, becomes that much harder. Things like going into the grocery store, things like going to pump gas, things that you need to do in order to function and manage your everyday life become that much more weighty. Uh, you ruminate about it. It takes you hours to, you know, get dressed and get out of the house because the notion of even leaving your house creates a level of fear and trepidation um, and concern. And so what can we do in those situations if we are feeling 
unsure about ourselves or uncertain, but also know we need to start integrating back into life. What are some strategies we can use? So I would say, you know, the first thing is really taking a step back and acknowledging the feelings. Like I was saying before, I think oftentimes when things feel um, unmanageable, we have a tendency to fight the experience. The other piece is judgment. So what happens is we start thinking, oh my gosh, why am I acting like this? Why um, is this that hard for me? And so when you have a repetitive thought that is saying, why is this so hard for me? Why am I, you know, why is a grocery store so difficult for me to get to? That contributes to this pressure cooker of experience, right? So the first thing is to take a step back, identify what you're feeling. The second thing is to look for that judgment, that internal dialogue that is um, causing you to question the situation. Well, if we're going to um, acknowledge our experience, a part of that is acknowledging the difficulty and not you know, saying to ourselves, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so hard. I can't do it right? Because that in and of itself, it leads to an emotional reaction. And then from that, we have a behavioral response, which is, I can't leave. Avoidance. Avoidance avoidance is a very classic anxiety response. So most important thing is to take a step back, identify what you're feeling. Next is to really acknowledge it. And by acknowledging it, I mean, really kind of pay attention to the voice of judgment that gets in the world. It is. (laughs) And so, you know, Cheryl and I talk a lot and on a lot of the podcasts or articles we write about things you can do to help yourself in situations. You know, we love meditation and even um, movement and um, talking to friends, fun, breath Breath work, work, all of these things. But we always say also, recognize the value that a professional therapist or counselor um, can have in your life too. And so I think it's so important right now for people to be listening to this and understand that the things you're feeling might benefit from talking to someone else, because, you know, as good of friends as Cheryl and I might be, or my opinion is not professional. (laughs) Well, not only that, but as much as I might talk to my husband about every little thing that comes up, he's not that objective person. He's kind of in it with me or with your children or your parents or whoever having that other person who is compassionate yet objective, I think can be so valuable in these situations. And so I think Let's talk about anxiety and depression in the same way we just did social anxiety. What are some signs or symptoms that people might see in their lives to tell them this is what you're dealing with? Or this is depression. Yeah. And it's not just that you're not sleeping enough or it's not just that you're fatigued or whatever. It might be at a level where you could really benefit from speaking to a professional. Sure. So, you know, as far as depression and anxiety go, I would say with depression, um, first off, obviously, it is normal for us all to be sad at times in our life, to have reactions of sadness to things that um, have a level of magnitude and impact, things that we care about, right? A breakup, a divorce, um, a family member, family death, a family member who was just diagnosed with an illness, right? 
I mean, and, and, or just little things, right. I mean, you know, we didn't do well on a test. Okay. So that makes us sad. Right. So again, as I was saying about social anxiety, I want to make sure and emphasize kind of the normal reactions we have to everyday life. Um, I would say where depression becomes a clinical situation is, you know, the same, as I said, with social anxiety, when it really gets in the way of your everyday functioning. So when, you know, and again, depression is on a continuum. So, you know, the points I'm going to make, I'll start with the most severe, right? But of course, we know there's a continuum. And of course, everybody's individual experience is different. And so that would just take, Mm -hmm. you know, me assessing kind of based on, you know, what they're doing in their lives and what they're needing to do in their lives, how bad it is. Right. But when you start to notice, you know, you're not paying as much attention to hygiene when you're feeling um, a level of hopelessness um, and despair that feels, and I want to be clear, it feels like there is a permanence to it. Like there's no way out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That often can lead to suicidal ideation um, ideation kind of leading to self-harm, um, isolation, you know, uh, feeling like you're disconnecting from the things that are most important in your life. And the way that I like to describe depression. So when we are functioning, let's say at an optimal state, we have an expansion mentality where we want to do more we want to experience more. We want to really uh, be involved in our lives. When we see a clinical depression, we see a constriction. We see, you know, you're closing, you feel like you're closing in on yourself. There's caution, there's red tape around the things that are most important to you. You, you know, you, you stop talking to the people that you care about. You may leave a job that meant a lot to you. You may find yourself just isolating and separating yourself um, and finding more solace in sleeping. Um, I should also mention sleep and appetite are big, um, you know, that can be symptoms of depression if there's extensive periods of oversleeping or extensive periods of not sleeping enough. Same goes with um, appetite, extensive periods of eating too much or extensive periods of not eating enough. Um, So these are some of the things, again, it goes back to quality of life, day-to-day functioning. If you're having a severe, you know, if it's having a severe impact on your day-to-day functioning and you're really not able to do the things that you once were able to do and it's causing just an uprooting in your sense of self. I would, I would refer that to more of, of a clinical case. Um, I think that COVID has given an opportunity with the telehealth for people that maybe wouldn't have had the umph to get off their own couch and Mm -hmm. seek help, but now that they can just get on zoom with you. Yes. I think that that might help people. It feels safer. It feels, Yeah. And like you said, it's when you're really depressed or sad or anxiety, you don't want to leave your house. Right. Right. And so if that can just get on zoom with you, it's that first little step of being like, okay, this is what I have going on. Should I worry? Right. Right. What, what, where can, what can I do? How can you help that kind of stuff? We become that much more sensitive to not only our internal 
stressors and triggers, but also our external stressors and triggers, right? So it's it's almost like a um, extreme sensitivity. So our central nervous systems, when we're you know not operating from from a place of severe anxiety or depression, right? It modulates our balance and our homeostasis. And so when that kind of gets out of whack with more clinical kind of presentations, everything then becomes, you know, we, we, we experience a sensitivity that feels like we can't manage it. So distress tolerance really is something I look for, right? So you may be experiencing this, but how much of it can you tolerate? And oftentimes if, you know, the person that I'm working with is saying, I really can't tolerate this level of distress related to the anxiety and depression, then that's where obviously we have to do some work. Um, And to your point, Cheryl, you know, and I know a lot of clinicians, um, psychologists, uh, therapists, you know, we, everybody has their kind of um, idea about virtual therapy, right? And so I'll say this, for me, I have found it to be really powerful as an additional modality to in-person sessions. And the reason for that is I work with quite a few adolescents and you would think initially that adolescents would want to be in person. And a lot of them do. And again, it's, you know, a point of preference and also kind of how appropriate is virtual for different presentations. But what I have seen that's been really interesting that I never got in my office is there's a way to connect with adolescents I am in their room with them when they're doing therapy. They're pointing to a a poster on their wall or they're showing me their dog before I'd see a photo of their dog or I would be able to see photos of their room, right? And so there's something really meaningful um, about being able to be in some ways inside their world. And it helps me with the connection that I, you know, can make with them. It actually really speeds up the rapport building because when they were in my office, it'd take me a little longer. What are your interests? What are your hobbies? You know, tell me about yourself. But when they're in their room, it's really easy to be like, Hey, can you show me what that is? And what is that award? And so that's been something that's been really interesting. And I've been saying this a lot. It's interesting. I feel like a broken record when I talk about virtual therapy and when I talk about the benefits, but it's really something I want to emphasize because you're right. It does take off some of that pressure and it does create more ease and adolescents are very technologically savvy. And so they know how to turn on the zoom. And sometimes they'll be like, Hey, can I share this with you? I'm like, how do I share my screen? I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm still learning how to do this, but they're, you know, they're the ones who are directing, let me show you this and let me show you how to, you know, uh, fix your volume, whatever it is. But to me, that connection has changed in a positive direction. And again, I want to emphasize too, that not everybody feels this way. And it's really about individual, you know, preference and also um, the presenting kind of concern. And I, I have to, you know, be clear that I don't see everybody virtually. If there is an acute case where um, there is a lot of risk at this point, I will see them in person because I don't feel that the virtual uh, modality is sufficient or appropriate. So it's it's really about the level of risk that's involved. Yeah. That's good to know. And that's one of the ways COVID will have changed us going forward. Yeah. I think this is great to hear because mm-hmm. just recently I was speaking to another mom that her um, child was about to start therapy and she was she was kind of complaining a little bit that it was Zoom, you know, and oh we got to do it this way. And 
But the way you put it, just I think I'll be able to share that or she'll definitely get to hear this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, and hear that there's so much value in you going into their room. Well, yeah. I mean, and then I'll huge. say it from the other side too. I haven't seen a therapist per se during COVID, but I have a couple of different sort of life coaches or people like that I work with. And at first I thought this isn't even going to be worth my time. And now, even that they're going back to in-person, I have gotten to love the convenience here. It's so convenient. (laughs) I started a certain time. I ended a certain time. I have my cup of tea that I made here. And I get just as much out of it as I think I did in person. And I'm more apt to see them more often, I think, because it's so much easier for me. Amy, because you can fit it into your busy schedule. This is feeling like you have to be traffic and you have to get to somebody's office. And then it takes about 10 minutes to feel settled before you can actually address the things that are coming up for you. So absolutely. You know, I hear this a lot. I mean, what you're saying is what I'm hearing a lot from the people that I'm working with as well. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great in the hall. I mean, I, I know in the very beginning of the pandemic, one of the things, uh, you know, I teach exercise on the other side of my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the like guru teachers, the other teachers were like, how are we really going to energetically connect with people via a screen? And one of the examples he gave was you watch movies all the time on the screen. And when you're watching, if it's sad, you cry. If it's yeah. funny, you laugh. Right. And he goes, so that's an energetic, emotional connection versus a 2D screen. It is very possible to have that connection. And we just didn't realize before the pandemic, it was really it was already happening. Yes. Yes. And there's an interesting kind of focus and attention that I observe not only in myself, but also in my clients. Again, coming into the office, you know, feeling distracted by a siren that you hear or a car driving by, or even just initially, you know, it takes a lot of courage to walk into somebody's office. And when you're initially trying to get to know them, you're going to be a little bit more frazzled and distracted. And so, like you were saying, I think with the screen, it does take a lot of that away. And again, it makes it a little bit more challenging, maybe with technology at times. But I think, you know, you guys are right in that it does assist with a level of um, just not only autonomy, because people feel like, you know, there's some independence and being able to be in their own homes, but comfort. And I think so too, because your example with the teenagers, they're on their turf, not going into exactly. an adult's corporate space. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Have you seen an uptick in seeing teenagers since? Yes. Well, in college age Co- kids. Yeah. And yeah. I yeah. know it's been really hard on my college age. So. Yeah, I have, um, you know, as I was saying, adolescents, young adults, and, you know, um, I've and been. That fortunate. age group has anxiety already. Let alone yeah. for the pandemic. Oh, exactly. So the pandemic, you know, exacerbated it. But you guys both know, I mean, things like social media, I would say one of the, you know, the most important things that we have to look at um, consistently and continually as it relates to mental health. It does have, I would say, an impact. Again, not all bad, but I definitely think that um, it continues to need to be addressed, not only in 
my office, but just generally in our society in terms of the impact. Um, Life transitions, right? Going from high school to college. A lot of the kids that I work with, they didn't get to have a high school graduation because of the pandemic. They didn't get to have a college graduation. So navigating those losses. I know that UT just had a few graduations for the people who weren't able to, to have them, you know, during the pandemic, but really, you know, recognizing that our kids have had a lot of losses um, and having to, you know, work through that. And also, you know, the recognition that they have to keep moving forward into the next life transition that can all be challenging, especially with everything that's happening in our society, sociopolitically, right? I mean, there's so much going on. So, and it's hard. I have one of my sons just graduated from college in August. Again, no ceremony, exactly as you're saying, no rite of passage at his school. And now he's looking for a job, but it's a really weird time to be looking for a job because some places aren't in person. Some places aren't wanting to really hire a lot of young people because they don't have the programs in place to train new people during the pandemic if they're still virtual. It's that transition has been, I think, even more difficult than it would normally be on a young person. And I think, you know, you're right in terms of a lot of the kids that I work with, they say, I don't feel like I have a lot of guidance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we have this technology and we have all these mediums to use, but I really don't feel like I have a lot of guidance. And the the other thing too is competition. Mm -hmm. You know, while it's, you know, you're saying it's so challenging to get a job, it is highly competitive. And there's so much now that you have to be doing. You know, the kids are like, I have to update my LinkedIn and my resume. And I have to, you know, really be looking at LinkedIn every day because somebody else may have two or three, you know, additional experiences that I don't. So now they scramble to kind of, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot to manage. So technology has been very fruitful for us in many ways, but these are some of the downsides where a lot of my kids feel like they're not enough. It's never ending in terms of expectation. And that, and that's something, that's something that affects all of us, whether we're, you know, 16, 25, 45. I mean, that's something that we're all feeling as a result of a lot of what we've all endured. Wow. There's a lot going on. There is. I know. I mean, and we kind of knew it, but I feel like with this podcast, we were able to just put it out there in black and white and tell us, you know, the sad thing that I want to ask, you know, we kind of heard there's an increase in suicide rates or in people being in jeopardy. Is Mm -hmm. that all accurate? Is that being seen? Yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, I also want to be, I want to elicit hope, right? Because there is a lot going on that definitely worries us, you know, and and concerns us. But at the same time, I want to elicit hope because one of the most important things that has come from the pandemic is we have now um, increasingly really shed the light on mental health. And Mm -hmm. we've, we've, it's definitely been there. And over time, we have dismantled the stigma. But now more than ever, I am, you know, really hearing a lot more about companies making sure that they have mental health days for their for their employees, making sure that they have resources for their employees, schools, the same thing, colleges, um, high schools, really kind of incorporating mental health into their curriculum. Um, And so that to me, you know, 
there is a takeaway. There's many takeaways from our experience, but it's so uh, crucial that we are really putting mental health at the forefront and seeing it just as important as physical health. The body-mind connection, Cheryl, you're really well-versed in this. It is incredibly important. And so um, for me as, you know, a psychologist who is really at the forefront of seeing my clients and their struggles, this is really important because we've been seeing this for a long time. And now with the pandemic, there is so much more of an emphasis because everybody is experiencing, right? Um, yeah, so we, we can it. sympathize. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of the good news from what you said is there may be more resources than ever, because as you said, you can now see people across state lines, virtually in person, whatever suits someone more readily available. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, it does help with the shortage of mental health professionals for sure to have this accessibility. Um, so yeah, I'm really, you know, excited to be a part of the psych pact uh, that I was mentioning before. And then also just the evolution of this field, because I think, you know, if it wasn't for the pandemic, um, American Psychological Association would not have been, you know, they wouldn't have spearheaded the psych pack thing because they recognized there was a tremendous need and not enough clinicians to fill it. So we have to provide more access and this is how we're going to do it. So with that being said, will you tell our listeners how they can find you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, my website is Dr. Nahal Delpasand. Dot com. Um, that's the best way to find me. You can even just put my name into Google and um, you'll be able to we'll access link you too. Yes, we'll definitely put a link yeah. to that. You'll be able to access my website. Um, and, you know, I've written some articles for Tripeza and this is how um, this podcast, you know, Hi. is able to happen. I met Cheryl and Amy and Cheryl, I've known you for years. Yeah, we've known each other for a while. <laughs> Amy, I had the pleasure of meeting you at the uh, Tribeza event. So I've done some writing for Tribeza. Um, and so if you type in my name into Google, you'll see some of those articles and then it'll link to my web- website. So, Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing all this information. I, I Like you said, I think that you have elicited hope for people, that for people to recognize what's going on, that there's help. And, and I mean, I hate to use this word loosely, but there's easy help. And I, and I don't mean it as in it's easy for us to make. Yeah. You're easily accessible Mm -hmm. to just, you know, I hope that if, if you need help, click on the link to get to her website. There's once you get there, it's easy to get a hold of you, you know? And you know what, if you find it scary, click on our YouTube or our website and watch watch this video. So you see, this is what it would look or feel like. It's really not that scary. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you guys saying that. And, you know, it's been an honor to have this time to speak with you both. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Oh, it's been a pleasure. We hope it will help someone out there and um, be well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Invibe Live Conversations. For more information and to join our community, be sure to check out our website at invibelive.com. We look forward to sharing with you.